kids had just been on us and on us and on us about getting another dog. Anyway, at Christmas time, we decided it was a good opportunity to buy them a, a puppy for Christmas. And uh, man, it has been super fun uh, watching them just uh, enjoying the puppy. And the puppy's really cool. Obviously, it's really small. Does lots of dumb stuff that's really funny. Anyone who's had a puppy knows that. I, I, so I, it, it jumped off the front of our fort yesterday, which is about six foot high, and just backed itself. And you're just going, well, that's really cool, but it's actually really stupid too. Um, so I thought I'd just show you a little clip. I asked the boys if they're happy for me to show this. You'll get to hear the, just, the, the, just the wonder of my commentating uh, <laughs> as, as that's happening. And then you might wish you were at a different church this morning. But anyway, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll get the idea. So here's the deal. Basically, they just, just one day decided we're just going to rip up the hill with the dog and then rip back down it and just get it running as hard as possible because anyone who knows Border Collies knows that they love to run. So... The last Wednesday and Friday of the last week, this dog literally, I mean, it's only about, what, 11 weeks old or 12 weeks old. It ran five or six Ks on Wednesday and then five or six on Friday and just kind of ran the whole, it's pretty hot too. Anyway, here you go. See? See, that, that, um, the reason why I've shown that is because that's funny, right? When a dog runs down a hill and kind of face plants at the end of it. And, um, she's got this thing where she just, she'll just run and there'll be a seat, you know. She's not even that big, but she'll just back herself to jump straight up from the ground, straight onto a seat and just axe herself right in the uh, stomach. I mean, they do lots of stuff like that. Uh, judgment's a big issue when it comes to puppies. Uh, anyone who's had one would, uh, would know that. And, you know, puppies are really cute, right? And there's, um, it's, it's kind of fun to watch them. And sometimes, I, I said this quite a while ago, that it would be really cool, wouldn't it? In one sense, if you get some kind of rubber suit and just put it on a puppy so it never grew. And it just, do you get what I'm saying? Like, you just, and we're noticing with her that she's grown so much in the last few weeks. But there's, some of you probably think, well, that would actually be pretty cruel because it actually, they're actually meant to grow, aren't they? They're meant to grow up. And um, putting a rubber suit on it would actually be um, a cruel thing. And you see, puppies, in a sense, are actually meant to stop doing some of the dumb things that they do. Now, they, dogs always do some kind of dumb things. Border Collies, I always found with my guy, he'd get ADD in the middle of the night, and he'd come out in the backyard shredded, you know. Um, but there's a point at which, I mean, if she got to four years of age and she was running down that hill and face planting at the end, you'd be going, well, there's something not quite right with her. It's okay when she's a puppy, but when she's an adult dog, she probably shouldn't be doing that. Uh, because there's, there's things that you can get away with when you're inexperienced and young that you can't get away with when you're older. Has anyone noticed that? And sometimes you see older... Has anyone ever seen older people? You just go, really, man, you should just not be doing that at all. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's like, that's like a 17-year-old thing, you know? I think I heard recently... Sorry, a little while ago, that the average age of computer gamers is about 35 years old. Now, to get an average, you have to have some older and some younger, you know. So if you've got 40, 45-year-olds playing um, Call of Duty incessantly, uh, that may be one of those crazy puppy things, in a sense. Well, I wanted to take the time today for us to be a little bit reflective about where the project's up to. project's been going for about three and a half years. Um, and you know what? There were some things about the project in the early days that might have been cute that wouldn't be now because you need to grow. You need to grow. I remember my mates at school, uh, whenever, you know, because everyone would use the word cute all the time and they go, you know what cute means, don't you? It means ugly but interesting. Just going, thank you. Um, which it doesn't, by the way just in case some of you are already looking up your iPhones, define cute. Um, let me give you a couple of things that, from the early days of the project that uh, we've, we've uh, grown past. One of the lines that I used pretty often early on in the project is this one, we haven't got a clue what we're doing. <laughs> Which at some level was pretty reflective of the project right at the start. Now, we had a really clear call from God to do what we were doing, but we only knew that piece, all right? 
And uh, it was kind of, it blew our minds that we'd be running a church and everything that kind of came with that. And um, people would kind of come up to us. I mean, even things like, um, we had a, a band that wanted to come to the church and they were asking for a donation. We just go, I don't know. How much money do you give in donation? We, we don't really know. Um, but you know what? The truth is now, three and a half years in, we're not saying that we know everything, but we know more than nothing. All right? Uh, and to be true, we ought to know something about what we're doing. Now, we don't need to know everything about what we're doing, but we need to know a fair bit, well, everything that we can know about what we're doing. So it's pretty unhelpful for you if I stand up here now and probably an immature, cute thing if I stand up and I say, hey, listen, we had this really good idea and we're going to go and do two services from the second Sunday in February, but we haven't got a clue what we're doing. You'd be going, excellent. So, uh, you, you know, you're Googling churches in Toowoomba. Um, now, at the end of the day, I think um, the, the privilege that we have as a church here is we can actually try some things um, and then not work, and we can handle that. Um, so there's a sense in which, yeah, we need to know a fair bit about what we're doing, but there's also a sense in which, well, let's just have a try that thing and let's just see if that works. And we'll be okay if it doesn't actually work. And that's actually one of the directions that I give to the leaders around me in the church here is just have a crack at it. Have a go. If there's nothing in the scriptures that speak against it, just have a go and see what God might do. And statistically, we actually know that um, some of the strategies, quite a lot of the strategies that revitalise established churches actually came from church plants because they don't have the stakeholders in the church plant to kind of limit their creativity and they just kind of have a go at things. Uh, one of the things I think is you best to have a go at something. People generally will forgive you for making the mistake once, but you probably just need to make sure you learn so that you don't do it twice because they're a lot slower to forgive then. So we do know some things. We don't know everything, but we know some things, and it wouldn't be right for us to say that. In the first six months of the project, no one in the church, um, I shouldn't say without exception because I may be missing someone, but uh, almost without exception, no one in the church served the church except for the leadership team all right now i'm not just talking about diff and nathan and i i'm talking about the broader leadership team all the people who are leading community groups so for six months um we carried that okay we had some people from tcc who were kind of part of that who came and helped us to carry that you know and that's really good and we think it's really important to lead by example but do you know what if the leadership team or the leaders were still carrying everything in the church now and they're the only ones volunteering they wouldn't be cute anymore. Do you get what I'm saying? You have to grow, you have to mature. Um, in the early years of the project, here's another one, in the early years of the project, the, um, the leadership, Diff and Nathan and I, we just didn't have very much time. And um, so we didn't have that much time to put into pastoral kind of the pastoral needs of the church. Okay? Now we contributed to the pastoral needs that came our way, but... Um, as has been evidenced in 2014 by me, a lot of pastoral needs didn't come our way because people in the church thought these guys are too busy so we're not going to tell them. Now, we appreciated that. But look, here's the bottom line. If the church is about helping broken people, then the church ought to be involved in the nitty-gritty of pastoral care. True? So that's how it was back then, but we needed to grow and I think we're growing in that. Um, another one is uh, early on we... Um, pretty much the only clarity we had about where we were going was on our vision and values kind of card. So we had about six points and that was it. And people would come up to me and they'd say, what do you guys actually believe? And we'd just go, listen to our messages, that's what we believe. <laughs> I mean, we didn't even really have an active statement of faith uh, to put out. That's, go that's gone in a sense. That immaturity is gone. We've got a statement of faith and we're working to clarify things uh, more and more. So I wonder, from your point of view, what would the KPIs be for a church? KPIs are key performance indicators. KPIs evaluate the success of an organisation or of a particular activity in which it engages based on whether it's achieving its goals. So I wonder for you today, as you look at the screen there and that question there, what would be the questions or the performance indicators that you would put out to decide on how mature the project was fair enough how mature are we as a church now does god want us to grow in maturity 
Does he? Absolutely. So how would you know if you're actually doing that? How would we know if we're actually doing that? And I want to suggest to you today that Ephesians 4 is a really good yardstick to work out your KPIs for a church. And I think today is a good opportunity at the start of the year for us to reflect on where we're at as a church, where we've grown and where we are yet to grow. Now, it's difficult in a sense because we've got new people coming in all the time. Churches are kind of a living organism and uh, people kind of come and join it. And you might go, well, are people maturing? I know some people who are maturing and some who are not. And it's true. I mean, the whole is made up of its constituent parts at the end of the day. And everyone's an individual that contributes to the whole of the project. So does the individual matter? Yes, the individual does matter. But it's interesting when you read the Bible, the Bible most of the time is talking to corporate bodies, not individuals. And when you get to Ephesians, it's actually speaking to the whole rather than to the individual. Now, does it address the individual? Yes, it does. But primarily, it speaks to the whole church. So what we're going to do in a minute is read through Ephesians chapter 4, the whole of Ephesians chapter 4. But I want to start with this, verse 1, good place to start. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Listen, I don't want you to think today that you've got to live up to something to be something. That's not what you have to do. You know what Paul's saying here? He says, you've got to live up to what you already are. You always live out of your identity, always. And the Bible's continually calling you to become who you are. So the Bible reminds you all the time. God reminds you all the time. He says, listen, this is who you are. Now act in line with who you are. The Bible does not say you've got to act this way to become this person. You've got to act this way to become a child of God. You've got to act this way to become a saint. Those of you here who maybe aren't following Jesus and you think, I can't be good enough to be a Christian, you've got it the wrong way around. It doesn't work like that. You get status and behavior comes out of your status. Behavior, status does not come from behavior. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to be good enough. You just have to, when you're a Christian, you're just going, well, I'm a child of God and I've just got to live up to what God's made me. Now, Paul specifically uses the word um, calling that you've been called to. Let me tell you about what your calling is from Ephesians. Man, this, is, this should blow the hair off your skull, all right? This is amazing. You just, some of you just, you know, well, let me try you. <laughs> Ephesians 1, God is our father and we're his children. That's a scandal. You don't look scandalised. That is a scandal because you hated him. You like hated him and you wanted to kill him. Probably or just get him out of the way so that you could do your own stuff. And what does he do? He says, no, come and be my child again. And you know what the call is? If you're his child, then act like his child. That's what Paul's saying. Ephesians 1 also says that God's call for you is to know, accept and live in the grace of God giving to you in Jesus. You know what grace is? Generous, overflowing gifts. In fact, Ephesians, in the first part of Ephesians, you know, it actually says the reason why God saves people is because he wants to show his overflowing generosity to people for all of eternity. And you're not excited enough. That's his intention. This is the calling. Like, get in the spot where he pours out his goodness to you. Ephesians 2, you're called to be alive, to live in his love and do the things he's prepared for you to do. Ephesians 2 again, God has only one family, he says, so be a family. That's the calling, be a family. Ephesians 2 again, you're called to be his dwelling place. He wants to live in you and just go around with you. And when you all come together, somehow there's some expression of who God is that comes out on Sunday mornings. In Ephesians 3, this is really helpful to me because officially, for whatever it's worth, I'm a minister of religion. Do you know what the word minister means when it's used as a verb? It means to attend to the needs of someone. And Paul says in Ephesians 3, he says, I am a minister of grace. So you think about that. People need... God's overflowing goodness. Is that true? And if you're going to be a minister of grace, you know what that means? 
you're actually just going out and handing grace out. It's like you're Santa Claus, right? You're just going out and you're just handing stuff to people and you're handing the goodness of God to people. You're a minister of grace. So because you are a minister of grace, this is how you're to act. Don't act in such a way to prove you're the real deal. Don't act in such a way that you can earn the position or qualify for it. Act in a particular way because it is who you really are. Become what you are. It's not a performance trip. This is what the first verse of Ephesians 4 is about. So I want you to turn in your Bible with me and we'll read through the rest of Ephesians 4. You can look at it on the screen if you so wish. Paul says this, uh, writes this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So what's that? Well, he's going to tell you for the rest of Ephesians 4 and the rest of Ephesians. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Is there any limit to the measure of Christ's gift? No limit. All right? So that's kind of like, you can have all the money in my bank account. Like if someone came up to you and told you that, you can have all my money. Your next question is, well, how much have you got? Now, if the person says, well, there's no end, you just go, I'll take that, thanks. That'd be great. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into lower regions, the earth. He who descended is one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see, the leaders in this church are meant to equip you so that you can meet each other's needs. Because that's, that's what ministry is, is meeting each other's needs. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, listen to this, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Do you hear what he's saying? He's kind of going, maturity, immaturity. <laughs> maturity, immaturity. And he's kind of saying, grow up. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore... Having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbour. I mean, you could meditate, you could think about this next phrase for the next 12 months. For we are members of one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That, that is an amazing contrast in that verse, isn't it? The dude that's stealing, stop stealing, get to work so that you've got plenty to share. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, see we're back into immaturity again, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, 
along with all malice. Maturity, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Yesterday, uh, Friday uh, morning, um, all the people that are being paid by the project to do stuff this year, we all got together for a bit of an in-service day. And I thought, let's go through Ephesians 4 and let's see if we can come up with a bit of an idea about where we think the project is at with regard to this stuff, right? Now, you look at this stuff, you just go, oh, it's going to be a beating, right? Because we're not as good as we're supposed to be. It's not going to be a beating today. Now, is anything, is, is the church that's most mature, is it as mature as God wants to make it? No, it's not. But ought they celebrate God's work in their midst as he makes them mature? Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know what was amazing to me is we did a SWOT analysis, which is kind of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats on the project based on Ephesians 4. And you know what? I reckon that of the five people that were there, there was probably double the amount of strengths as there were weaknesses. You don't even look that happy about it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we could have told you that. You have to have a meeting about that. Let me tell you some areas that we came up with where we think um, the project's doing pretty well. Speaking the truth in love, both for those who preach and community groups, people in community groups. Um, I said there, uh, the staff there just shared about how there's a real sense in the project generally that everyone's kind of on the journey together. There's a sense of humility. There's a shepherding. There's a, there's a sense of needing to grow in the project. We're really stoked about that. Um, there's lots of people working together and serving alongside one another and we're really chuffed with that. People in the project, despite how the preaching's not always in line with this, people are very gentle and patient with one another. That's, that's what we see. You're actually really good at being gentle and patient with one another. And we actually see God doing stuff all over the place in our midst. We see people actually putting off, as Paul says here, he says, put off the old self. We see people doing that in the church. We see people being really honest. We see people focusing on Jesus. We don't see much corrupting talk in the project. There's very little of that. And we actually see people forgiving one another in the project. We think you're doing well. second half of today's message I want to spend, let's just look at three KPIs from Ephesians 4. Here's the thing. Does the project have areas that are weak? Does it? Yeah, it does. But it's got a whole bunch of areas that are strong. And some of you probably just go, oh, we can just stop focusing on the strong bits. No, well, you can't, because I think God wants you to be even stronger. So make your strength stronger and your weaknesses stronger. Let's just keep growing. Let's not be like a 12-week-old puppy that just stops growing and then two years later people are going, there's something wrong with that thing. Here's the first one. KPI number one, humility. Ephesians 4, 1 to 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on these other qualities here, but you know what gentleness is? Gentleness is power under control that's what it is it's power under control you know what gentleness is it's gentleness is that you err on the side of encouragement not criticism i think about that it's just i mean how many times have you been criticized for being too encouraging do you get what i'm saying that, that's kind of the vibe there it's like peter like you really blew it today you shouldn't have encouraged as many times as you did you know, it's like, hang your head, put on the sad music, get the violin out. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. You know, a good way to, to see whether you're actually bearing with one another in love is how much it affects your lifestyle. If it doesn't affect your lifestyle, you're probably not bearing with one another. You're not, probably not bearing each other's burdens. But you know what we see in the church here? People's lifestyles are affected by the way that they bear one another's burdens and they love one another. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Now, let's get back to humility. 
Let me ask you a few questions. Now, I've already told you that the, the project staff, if I can call them that, um, think we're doing pretty, we're doing, we're doing well. <coughs> so let's get better. Let me ask you this question. Do you think we before me? We are members one of another. Do you point your finger at your own issues before you point at other people's issues? Now, I think that a lot of you do point the finger at yourself first. You see, humility is actually not thinking about yourself as less, but it's thinking of yourself less. Tim Keller's wrote a great little mini book, which I really encourage you to read, called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. See, God's call is for us to be others-focused. In fact, you can read the whole of uh, Ephesians 4, as we've just read, and it's just littered with um, the call to be focused on other people and to be focused on relationships. And Paul, right at the start there, I haven't actually got it in the, in the scripture here, but Paul, right at the start there, kind of goes, listen, be humble and prefer the other person over yourself. It's like, how could you not do it? Because we're all part of one another and the Father, there's only one Father, there's only one family, only one body. So let's prefer the other person over ourselves. There's only one body, so act like it. And I wonder, I'll just throw it out to you. I wonder if you've noticed yourself saying things that divide. You know, this whole thing about unity. I mean, it's, it's just so easy for pride to kind of get in. I mean, it's... Someone who gossips is not working for unity, right? True? They're working for, for division. Someone who's judgmental towards someone else, even if they're right, if they don't love the other person, it's not working for unity, they're actually working for division. They're kind of wanting to show that that person's a bad person and they should be over here. Now, does humility, humility mean that you'll never speak the truth? No, it doesn't. Because Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4. Humility is going to influence the way that I speak so that I don't speak in such a way that I'm only interested in my agenda, the thing that I'm up to. See, you can't gossip about someone in a way that unites people. It's impossible. So I want to ask you, again, do you think team before you think about yourself? Do you think unity... Do you think of building the one church? How do you talk about other people in this church? Now, I'm sure, and I've heard it lots and lots of times, that people speak really, really well, and I hear lots and lots of times where people speak in a way that brings unity. But I'll just ask you that question. How do you speak in a way in this church that brings unity, that brings unity through humility? Do you know what's amazing about God is, is the gospel the good news about Jesus is that Jesus humbled himself and because Jesus humbled himself it means that you can humble yourself you see Jesus' humility his gentleness his patience his bearing with you in love it actually deals with your deepest needs so that you don't need to demand it from other people do you see that's a lot of the time that's kind of the issue with the whole pride thing and the humility thing, is it's just kind of go, if I don't defend myself and if I don't grab this stuff for myself, I'm going to miss out. And you know what Jesus would say to you today? He would say, I looked after everything that you deeply needed. And you can trust me to look after your needs and you can be humble like me. You don't have to demand things for yourself. You don't have to criticize other people. You don't have to be proud. You don't have to, in a sense, you don't have to defend yourself because I defend you. See, it's because Jesus came down and he humbled himself and he met us exactly where we were at. It was because he did all of that that you don't need to do it anymore. You don't have to try and grab stuff and be something anymore. He makes you something. KPI number two. Equipping and service. This is uh, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, 15 to 16. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you see weakness in the project, you know there's a high chance the reason why you see weakness is because that's your strength. Have you ever noticed that? In life, people go around and they tend, often they tend to be critical of the things that they're actually good at. People tend to view the weaknesses in the church through the lens of their strengths. So if you see something in the project and you just kind of go, that's ah, pretty weak. I don't think I'd go to that church because they're not good enough at doing this. And so you leave. First question I'd like to ask you in a non-confrontational way is I'd just go, are you actually good at that? Because the chances are that that's the reason why you're meant to be there. When you go looking for a church, do you look for a church where, or did you look for a church where you're just kind of going, I wonder if there's some kind of small vacuum here I can just make a contribution to. I can just maybe fill that little hole. And my next question after that, look, if you've got that heart, we just say, let there be more of it in the project. True? And I think many, many of you have got that heart. So it's like, where can I fill in a little hole? And I say, just go hell for leather. That's going to be great. You get right into it. The next step, once you've got a heart to do something, um, are you equipped? See, it's, a ch it's my job... It's the leadership's job in the church to equip you, to get you ready for service. And so a question for the leadership is, is this a church where people are regularly being equipped and serving out of that equipping? Well, a bit. I mean, that kind of came up as one of the things, that were one of the strengths for us on Friday. But you know what? I, I think it can get a lot better. So we're pleased with where it's at at the moment, but let's see if we can make that a whole lot better. You see, the body according to Paul, Christ's body, the church, grows and matures when people are equipped and bringing each other to maturity. So let me ask you this. What's your life calling? Do you know what it is? What are you supposed to do? I mean, the whole kind of deal with evolution is that there's no purpose in anything, right? Which does not jive at all with Everything that humans do on the planet has got some kind of reason or purpose behind it. What's your purpose? Now, you can give a nice theological, you know, Westminster Confession of Faith, question number one, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? All right? And I'd say, yay and amen. Yes, it is. All right? Give glory and honour to God. But God's actually made you with a really specific set of experiences, skill sets, passions, you're, you, you actually are unique and there's a spot that you're meant to fit. And I, all I'm asking is, do you know what that spot is? Now, am I talking about, is your calling in the church? Well, that's going to be some expression of who you are, but that's not all of it. See, my calling that I feel God's got on my life is not just the church, but the church is part of it. And you know what? There's not one person who follows Jesus where the church isn't part of what God's calling is on your life. What's God gifted you to do in the church? You see, the Bible's really clear about the fact when you become a Christian, God gives you spiritual gifts to serve each other in the church and to love each other. So it's kind of like, have you got a rifle in the, in the cabinet and you've never unlocked the door? Or does it get regular use? It's probably a bad analogy, isn't it? You get my point? What if you, I mean, is, there's no point having something really good that's really effective and really helpful and it never gets used, is there? Now, I can give you some stuff to work through if you want to work out what your life calling is. And you know what? I was just talking to some people at the start of church today. It can take a while to work it out. I reckon I didn't start to really get some clarity about it until about my mid-30s. Some of you are going, geez, he took a while. <laughs> And he did. He's a slow learner. And so you don't want to be... Don't, don't, don't hear pressure from me this morning. Hear more an encouragement from me this morning. Like, 
Just be on that journey and find out what it is. You know the whole point of work experience? You know what it is? Go and work somewhere for a week and see if anything clicks for you. And we just, I would say that in your life. I just, the things that you're really passionate about, just go and see if you're good at it and see if it blesses other people. And if you're good at it and it blesses other people and it glorifies God and it makes God look really good, you should just go full on in that. Are you receptive and responsive to the leaders in the church and their sense of your gifting and calling in the church? Now, we're really, really slow to do this, and I hate this. So I, I, it may have happened once or twice in the last three years, but there is an angle in which people in the church, leaders in the church, ought to be able to come up to you and say, hey, listen, I see something really, really cool in you. I see you've got a real ability here, and you've got a real... You can just... I think you're just really going to hum really well in this particular spot. And I just pray for you. For you I, just be sensitive to that. Be sensitive to what other people will actually see in you. Is the project maturing because each person knows their part and is working properly? See, that's what Paul says here. Is he says that things are growing. The body is growing when each part is working properly. You see, the extent of the needs in a mature church ought to be matched by the gifting of God and the work ethic of those that are in the church. And you know what the good news about all of this is? None of it's coming from you. Some of you sitting there, you might be going, oh, see, it's just, oh, it just gets me puffed just thinking about it. It gets me tired. Well, listen to this. This is 1 Peter 4. As each has received a gift. What is it? It's a, it's a, excellent. So you don't have to go out and make it, build it, develop it. Well, maybe you can refine it, but it just, it's a gift that comes to you. As each has received a... Okay, we're getting there. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Do you see that? What's grace? A gift. What is grace? It's a gift. All right, good. So gift, gift. Like you got a gift to give a gift. So you're not even doing anything at this point, really. Okay? You're just getting stuff. Verse 11, it says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So if you serve, you know what the gig is if you serve in the church, wherever you serve, it's like, God, I'm really going to need your help today. I need a gift from you to get this done. I pray that before I came up today. I get nervous before I speak, anytime. And that's why sometimes the first five minutes of what I do You'd just be a shamozzle, okay? And some of you have been here for a while, you'd probably sit there and just go, oh, I can't believe you just said that, all right? It's just there's a bit of a nerve thing that kind of kicks in. And I'm over there this morning, I'm going, God, I just really need your help today. You know what that is? I sent a gift. Can you just give me another present of help right now? You see, and it's, it's kind of not tiring in a sense because you're getting strength to do what God's calling you to do with the gift that he's given you to do it with. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, I worked harder than any of them. See, now you're puffing. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It was the gift that was with him. KPI 3, the spoken word. Ephesians 4, 14 to 15 and 25. No longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We're going to mature when we speak the truth. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. You know what Paul's saying here? A community of people who speak the truth to one another is the alternative to people flip-flopping all over the place. All right? Now, if you ever see someone flip-flopping around the place, that might be an invitation for you to speak the truth to them in love. Now, we think a lot of this actually happens in the project already and stability happens in the project because of what people say to one another. But let me ask you this question. Where are there areas of instability in the project that could be rectified by your engagement, by you speaking the truth? And we've all got a bit of a tendency on this one, right? Some of us are really good at speaking truth, not so good at love and some of us are really good at love but not so good at speaking truth 
And God would have us speak the truth in love. Verse 25 of Ephesians 4 up on the screen there says, um, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we're members of one another. Now you sit there and you go, I'm not a liar. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. How could there be falsehood in the project between people? Let me give you an example. How are you today? Good, thanks. I'm actually crap. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I'm good. How was your week? Yeah, it was really, yeah, no, it was good. And it was probably the worst one of your life. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? We do that, don't we? Now, here's the thing. You might go, yeah, well, I'm not going to tell everyone how bad I'm going. Yeah, fair enough, but do you tell anyone? Do you tell people, have you got a circle of people in the project, maybe on Sundays where you go up to them and you say, that was, a, that was a terrible week, you know? And if I was going to be honest about it, every single person that comes up to me and asks me how I'm going, I'd say it was terrible and I feel like I'd like to just, God, to take me out tonight when I, in my sleep. You get what I'm saying? Because that's a little bit of where falsehood can come in. What about this one? What about the way that we present a view of ourselves to others that we think they like? That's kind of a little bit of falsehood there, isn't it? Let me give you a couple of other errors. Saying one thing and meaning another. What about this one? Gossip. The gossip is falsehood. You know why? Because you're saying one thing behind someone's back that you wouldn't say to their face. And the opposite, flattery. Flattery is saying something to someone's face that you wouldn't say behind their back. And what about this one? Some of you are going, oh, I see, it's better not to say anything at all. <laughs> no, it's not. Because falsehood is uh, saying no words sometimes, isn't it? It's, it's not correcting. It's not encouraging. There's some falsehood in there. The CCF subject that uh, I'm going to be overseeing in the project, the Biblical Counselling subject, one of the books that we have to read is by a guy who's not a Christian as far as I know. He's a guy called Irvin Yalom. He, uh, for 35 years, he was a, uh, he's been a psych psychiatrist and he's a psychiatry professor at Stanford University. This is an excerpt from his book on the gift of therapy. This is chapter 24, title of the chapter, What Lies Have You Told Me? He says, often during the course of therapy, patients may describe examples of deception in their life, some incident when they have either concealed or distorted information about themselves. Using here and now rabbit ears, don't worry about what that is, I find such an admission an excellent opportunity, listen to this, to inquire about what lies they've told me through the course of therapy. There is always some concealment, some information withheld because of shame, because of some particular way they wish me to regard them. That's in a counselling psychiatry relationship. So what are the guidelines for speech? Paul gives those in Ephesians 4.29. Here's the three. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. First one's this, it needs to build up. Some of you are going, does that mean I can't say hard words? No, it doesn't. But your hard words need to build something, not tear something down. Second thing. As fits the occasion. Your words, I mean Proverbs talks about fitting words often. That you say the right things at the right time. And I'll tell you something, you're not going to know how to say the right things at the right time unless you listen to people and you know people really well. Which means you need to be in relationship with them. I guarantee you, if you only come to church on Sunday mornings, you will not know people well enough to be able to speak a word in season into their lives. If that's your only engagement with church. Three, the last thing, it must give presence. It must give grace. It must give goodness. Now, some of you at this point, I'm finished my three KPIs, you're going, oh, he's making us feel bad again. All right? It's like I'm not good enough. It's been said at the project that you never come away from the project feeling good. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with that. The gospel's about what? The gospel is about need and abundance, isn't it? Abundance is not that significant to you unless you've got great need. So the project, we're going to talk about need, but we're also going to talk about abundance. The gospel, the good news about Jesus is about good and evil. So we're going to talk about good and we're going to talk about evil. But you know what? What triumphs over evil? Good. That's why you go to the movies. 
That's why you watch stuff, you watch stories, right? And you don't like watching something that ends badly. You just go, well, that's depressing. Well, you go to find that good actually wins out over evil. That is the story of the universe. The gospel, the good news about Jesus is about despair and hope. So if on Sunday mornings you can despair a little bit in yourself but then find hope in Jesus, man, that is going to rock. The gospel is about completeness yet incompleteness. True? The gospel is about sickness and it's about healing. True? The gospel is about emptiness and fullness. The point of your discomfort is to help you to revel in the truth. You know what? It means to revel because you know we talk about new year's eve revelers yeah you know what it means to revel let me tell you according to the dictionary to revel is to take great pleasure or delight in to make merry and to indulge in boisterous festivities oh you're not revelers at all we could do better at this one, couldn't we? Like, couldn't we? Yeah. Like, yeah, look, let's be honest. There's some bad news about everyone, all right? And we're going to talk about the bad news, but you know what? The good news is so much gooder than the bad news. And you ought to be a little bit crazy about it. Yeah, sometimes you just go, oh, people come to church and they don't know about Jesus and, you know, what are you doing? You know, you've got your hands up in the air and it's all a bit confusing. Look, that's not confusing at a big bash game. All right? We just went to one the other night and I was going to quote my wife here for a sec. She just leaned over at one point in time and she goes, you know, everyone's got an inner bogan. <laughs> and it's, 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 at the, uh, it's at the cricket, you know? So what happens when Ben Cutting hits his massive big six? What's everyone doing? Well, they're out of their seats and their hands are in the air. And you don't go there and you just go, what sort of weird religion is this? It's just what you do, isn't it? I mean, the only thing that really makes it weird for us is that you can't see God. But there's a lot of things that we praise that you can't see. Amen? Come on, give me something. Okay. It's all, it's, that, that was festivity, but we're not quite boisterous yet. All right? When I can't hear myself because you guys are into it so much, I'll, I'll call that boisterous. I want to finish here. You might sit there today and you just go, man, we've got a lot to improve on. But, but you know what? You know, you know, Paul says in Ephesians, he says, it could be worse. You could actually be dead. <laughs> Have you ever said that about your own health? You just go, this really hurts. But you know what? I could be dead. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, and as for you, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. So it doesn't actually matter where you are on this journey the fact that you're alive and that maturity is even a live issue for you is good news. True? <coughs> read this and then I'm done. And you were dead. Read it with me. Come on. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, sorry, made us alive together with Christ. Yeah, good. Come on. Has anyone else got an amen there? Yeah, see, amen just means, yeah, that's good. We agree. Let that be true. Let's be a little bit more boisterous. Yeah? Because I'm just telling you, that is infinitely better than a Ben cutting six <laughs> for the Brisbane Heat. Now, the gospel about the Brisbane Heat is that they won their first game for a long time. So there was some good news on Thursday night. But this is way better news. True? We, we ought to be known as revelers in the gospel and the good news and the grace of God. Why don't you stand with me and I'll pray and we're done.
God, we're not where we were. But we're not where we're going to be either. And you got us all on a trip, a maturity trip. Not a drug trip, on a maturity trip. And you're going to get us there. And you don't want us to get all realist about it and just kind of go, well, I'm never going to get there, so might as well not try. Because you're just out just doing everything that needs to be done for us to get where you want us to get to. And God, we just really thank you for that. You brought us, you made us alive. We are dead, we didn't care about you. You made us alive. You came and saved us so that you can bestow your rich generosity upon us for all of eternity. And we're actually pretty excited about that. And God, I pray that you just help us all to know what's our bit? What's our bit this year? What's our bit in the project? What's my bit? What are we supposed to be doing? God, I pray that at the end of uh, 2015, we'd look back and just go, yeah, there's some immature things at the start of 2015, but God's grown us and he's taken us part that, past that. And it's happened not because we've paid more staff to do stuff, but it's happened because everyone in the church has got a sense of, of what you've given them to do, the cool stuff, the energy, the giftings, the abilities, and they've just gotten to work. And they've got down like the uh, exhortation to the people who are stealing I've gotten down and I've said, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get busy with the gift that God's given me in the place that God's called me to, so I'm going to have plenty to share with people in need. God, help us to just be in that spot. Pray that you just mature us. Thanks for all the maturing that you brought about in the project. And uh, we just thank you that we're not done and you've not left us and your plan's not being thwarted. You're just going to keep getting about it and we look forward to everything that you're going to do this year. God, I pray, pray your blessing upon everyone here. Everyone in the project, God, that you'd lead them, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them and that they would know what they're supposed to be doing this year and they'd get about doing it. God, help us with that and lead us in that. And thank you, God, that I don't need to know it and no leader needs to know everything that's going on. We just trust you by your Holy Spirit to get in and do everything that needs to be done and to stir people up into the areas that you want them to be in. And God, we look forward to great uh, fruit in a sense. Of, uh, of your work and your investment. Amen.